What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Hello, and welcome to Wealth Managed. I'm Michael Finca, Professor of Wealth Management at the American College of Financial Services. And I'm David Blanchett, Head of Retirement at PGM, which is the Asset Manager for Prudential and an adjunct professor uh, of the Wealth Management at the American College. David, so let's talk about these lifetime income benefits on different types of annuity products. This is a subject which I think there's just not a whole lot of understanding about among advisors, I think in different business models. I, frankly, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the value of those types of benefits. And why don't you start out this episode by just telling us the mechanics of how an annuity product that incorporates a lifetime withdrawal benefit works. Sure. So these are a little bit complicated, but you know what, what you mentioned is it's called a, a GLWB or a GMWB. If it's a GLWB, it stands for Guaranteed Lifetime Withdrawal Benefit or a GMWB is Guaranteed Minimum Withdrawal Benefit, and they almost always last for life. And so the key, right, is where you have the benefit effectively wrapping a portfolio. Now, historically, it's always wrapped portfolio. Da, 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 da. You're already using jargon. No, no jargon. Just explain how the wrapping a portfolio, what the hell does that mean? So to begin with step one, I buy a annuity product with $100,000. Then what? Okay, okay. Okay, so I, you buy, because you're a bit older than I am, an annuity oh. that provides guaranteed income for life, okay, for say $100,000. And what happens then is most of these products have what are called step-ups, okay? So let's just say that you buy it and you're, and you're not quite ready to take income yet. And so what it might do is it might say, oh, well, you know, each year it'll compare what you put put in to what it grows to. And it may, might guarantee some minimum credited rate of return. So, you know, the, the, the income base, which is the amount that you're going you're gonna to pull income from, will go up by, say, I'm going to make this up, at least 3% a year. Okay. And the key is, is that within these contracts, where it gets complicated is there's your contract value. That's what you can kind of pull out at any given time. And then there's the income base or the benefit base, and that's what you figure out what the income is going to be. What's, what's kind of cool about these products is that, is that the income base can be a lot higher than your contract value. So as I mentioned, if you're, if you're not taking out withdrawals, there could be like a minimum credited step up, all these things happen. So let's just say in five years, your contract value is $150,000 and the benefit base or income base is $200,000, okay? And your payout rate is 5%. Okay, so you would get 5% of the income base, that $200,000, which is $10,000 a year for as long as you live. If it just so happens that the markets behave well and go up, that could increase. But the key is you, you have access to that, that portfolio and you're guaranteed some minimum level of income for life. How'd I do? I, it's still a little confusing to me, frankly, David. So let's, let's, let's take it from the very beginning. So you mentioned that there's two values. One is a contract value. One is a benefit base. And now to, to you and I, we've spent some time with these things. So th this makes sense to us why there is the difference between the two. But I, I think a, in terms of 
you know, put on your actuary hat. So why is it that waiting to start taking income from my annuity might allow me to withdraw a higher income amount? So in other words, why then would that either the percentage that I receive or the benefit base go up if I wait to actually begin withdrawing income between age 60 and age 70? Yeah, so this is an effect you see with any kind of immediate annuity, for example, where payouts increase as you age because you're not going to live as long, right? Your life expectancy at age 60 is longer than it is at age 70. So that's, I think, something to be aware of. If you're a financial advisor and you have a product that promises an a rate of essentially a rate of return on that benefit base that it's going to grow by 5% a year. It's, it's actually actuarially fair that what's happening is that your income amount that is guaranteed by the insurance company is rising every year that you delay to take the income because the expectation is that the income payments will not last as long because you're older and you're not going to be alive as long as if you started taking income when you're 60. So it's not really a rate of return. It's just a. It's just that you waited to initiate the income on that product until you were older, and then that income guarantee is less costly. Yeah, and there's lots of ways that they can do it. They can do like initial rates and deferral credits. But I think that the point is, you know, more generally, one, you know, someone could say, well, why would I buy this product? If I'm not getting income immediately, like, what's the point? And the key is, is that is that it provides a floor, right? So you know, if you're thinking about I'm going to invest in a portfolio and fund retirement income, well, if you did that in 2022, your portfolio could be down 10 or 20 or 30 percent the first part of the year. You're guaranteed with these contracts that the income amount will never decrease. So that 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 contract value could be down significantly potentially, but that income base, that benefit base, has remained constant. So I think it's important at this point to say that the primary reason to own an annuity with a lifetime income benefit is to use it to generate income. Because if you don't use it to generate income, you're wasting money on what you're paying for that income benefit. So a lot of advisors like to characterize the cost of that income benefit as a fee. And it's not really a fee in the way that we generally think of fees. So if I'm a financial advisor, I'm charging 1% assets under management. That's a pure, purely a fee because the client is paying 1% for services that are rendered right now, and then they're over. But with a fee on lifetime income insurance, it really is more of an insurance premium. It's an insurance premium because the insurance company expects to pay out a certain percentage. Let's say you're paying one and a half percent for the ability to withdraw that money out over the course of a lifetime. A one and a half percent is not a fee. That one and a half percent is an insurance premium. And in order to provide that lifetime income guarantee, there's an expectation that of that one and a half percent, the insurance company has to pay back a certain percentage. And other you know, people have estimated how big that percentage is. David, what's your best guess of how much it would cost to provide that lifetime income insurance if the insurance company is charging one and a half percent for it? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think it depends upon when the policies were priced, right? I think that if we, and this is really important because if we go back to like pre-global financial crisis 2008, 
a lot of the insurance companies offering these products were doing so at a rate that was not sustainable, right? They were literally selling products that were, that were actuarially beneficial to buy because they weren't priced appropriately. If you look at, you know, the rider fees you see today, so 100 basis points, 120 basis points, you know, the actual benefits you're going to receive vary by contract, but, but they aren't that crazy price. So maybe, maybe it costs you 100 basis points, they're worth 85 basis points. It isn't like to your earlier point, you're paying 100 basis points and getting kind of a little bit out of it. That really is the cost of the insurance. I mean, it, it can't be free because they have to buy options. They have to actively hedge and do things to ensure that they can actually make those payments for as long as someone's alive. Well, not only do they have to do that, but they also, it, it's an annuity. So they have to provide that guarantee that if you live to 105, they're going to continue to make those payments, oftentimes out of their general account of their portfolio after you have depleted the contract value of the policy. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Deliver financial planning for every person and every need through our Chartered Financial Consultant Education Program. Find the tools and skills you need at theamericancollege.edu slash chfc. The American College of Financial Services is dedicated to providing applied financial knowledge and education, promoting lifelong learning and advocating for ethical standards for the benefit of society. I'm George Nichols III, President and CEO, and I encourage you to listen and subscribe to this and other college podcasts as we continue to expand our horizons in this digital landscape. Remember, no matter what, we are always stronger together. Visit theamericancollege.edu to learn how you can be part of the change we're building. Welcome back. Let's continue where we left off. So essentially, the insurance company is going to be taking your money out to provide income until your account is depleted. And, and they're also going to take out the cost of insurance because they have to be compensated for potentially paying up if that account value goes to zero. So that account value, if you choose this guarantee, it's going to decrease faster than if it was just an investment portfolio. But the difference with an investment portfolio is that when you're out, you're out. When you're out of your contract value on an insurance policy and you have an income guarantee, then the insurance company then picks up the cost of providing that lifetime income. And that's costly. I mean, you know, essentially what these things are, it's a deferred income annuity in the sense that they're only providing that income guarantee out of their general accounts once you've depleted your contract value. And that might happen when you're 72. It might happen when you're 85. It depends on how well the market do. And if it's a fixed type of product, you can actually have a pretty narrow window in terms of understanding when your, your contract value is going to deplete and when the insurance company is going to start having to pick up the tab. But that's a value. Like if I'm a retiree, do I, and, and let's also you know point out that the payout ratio on most forms of property insurance is probably only 60% or so. So when I buy homeowner's insurance or car insurance, for each dollar of premium that I pay, I expect to get back about 60 cents. On these types of policies, I would say that the percentage is probably higher of how much the insurance company would have to pay back if people used their policies properly. And by using them properly, 
you have to withdraw the income for that income benefit to have any value. If you just leave the money alone and don't take any money out, then essentially you're paying for insurance where there's no risk of loss, which is essentially a fee. So in that sense, you could characterize it as a fee, but if you're actually withdrawing the money, then it really is like an insurance policy. Yeah, I mean, I think an important aspect of this is that, and you mentioned this with like homeowners insurance, is that there has to be a cost there, right? They're, they're providing this as a benefit. There has to be a cost. Now, what's really hard is to kind of estimate, well, like what is it actually worth? Because again, to your point, you have to use the insurance correctly. You don't want to necessarily lapse on the policy. You want to take out the maximum withdrawal every year. You know, how would you invest the money if you didn't do this? And so in reality, for some folks, this could actually create more income. It could be actually you know, more than fair if you're going to put the money in CDs or something, right? You're going to live a long time. And so I think that, you know, estimating, you know, what these are worth is kind of, it's kind of ambiguous because it really requires someone to think about, well, if I don't buy this, I'm going to invest a portfolio and do this. Well, the obvious problem there is if you really, if you live a really long time, that portfolio can't necessarily sustain the income. So I think that it really does take a, a different perspective when it comes to thinking about the value of these riders, because it isn't, it, it isn't the same thing as a fee for advice. It is more of a contractual obligation from an insurance company. Now, we've had this conversation about the kind of annuities that economists love, like SPIAs and DIAs. And QLACs, right? And QLACs, don't even get me started. But the reality is that people don't buy those things. Why? Because you, you kind of, as you would say, you have to be a ninja to simply give up a few hundred thousand dollars for a promise of lifetime income. Most people are not there yet. And these types of annuities, now when we start getting into things like fixed indexed annuities with a withdrawal benefit, and there are even fixed annuities with a withdrawal benefit. I have a friend who works at a big financial company, and, and there are these incredibly generous withdrawal benefits on just a fixed annuity. And that's, to me, a great alternative to a SPIA. And I think that the rates now are, in many cases, comparable, pretty close to what you'd get from a SPIA on some of these fixed types of products. They're liquid when you buy them. The client sees the money there. You know that they don't lose money. There's a lot of behavioral benefit. Of course, they have to make those withdrawals, and the value of that policy is going to fall once they make those withdrawals. And eventually, that value is going to go to zero, and that's when the insurance company is on the hook. So, in many ways, these do provide the same longevity protection that some of those more pure annuity products provide, but they do it in a way that I think is more palatable to an average consumer. Yeah, I think that we can just say people like us, researchers often really overemphasize the kind of the economic benefits of certain products. And to your point, the, the, the problem with that is that the things that we really like, like maybe QLAX, um, insurance companies don't like because it, it exposes them to pure longevity risk. Individuals don't like, and so only like really weird, healthy folks buy them. So they become very unattractive for like the average American. I think that the goal is to kind of, is to combine the benefits of the longevity protection in a product that has features that individuals, all individuals, all people want to buy, and then it just becomes a, a better deal for everyone. And I think that these have been very successful at doing that. When interest rates had fallen for a while, insurers have really leaned away from them. Now that, they, now we've, that we've seen an increase, I think we might see more interest in those products. But I do think that they strike the right balance between kind of an, an academically attractive option as well as a, a behaviorally one. 
And I think at this point, you know, we've had this conversation in the past, but we have to make it again. Pay attention to the credit quality of the insurance company because, again, this is a long-term insurance policy that the insurance company is only going to be on the hook when you deplete that contract value, and that's only going to happen down the road, you know, at least a decade or more down the road. So that's where the insurance, the strength of the insurance company matters, and taking that into consideration, I think, is important. If you're, you know, if you're just going for an accumulation annuity, like something that has a three or five year time horizon doesn't matter as much, but something that has a lifetime income benefit, that's where you've got to pay attention. I agree that financial strength is really important, but at the same time, I just, you know, I think that people often talk about that as like a, oh, you should never buy an annuity because you you have like the single insurer. And I, I think that, that yes, it's important, but at the same time, you know, we just haven't seen losses almost at all in all in, in every major insurer out there. So it's obviously important, but I hesitate to, to, you know, worry too much, just given the fact that it's a very safe you know, insurance companies are very safe. There's their own account. There's state guarantee association. There's there's the implied benefits of being part of a larger insurer group. So I just, you know, yes, but don't freak out too much. Well, I think we should end by at least making the point that you can live better with one of these products if you're an average consumer than if you did not have that lifetime income guarantee, because essentially you're always at risk of running out. And always at risk of running out means that you're going to be overly cautious when you spend money. So if you're trying to do it yourself with bonds, then you have to decide how long those bonds are going to last to 90 or 95 or 100. And if you're risk averse, you're going to make them last to 100, in which case you're not going to spend very much money. With this type of a product, you can spend more with less risk because the insurance company is going to be on the hook if that contract value goes away. Do you want to make a last point about step-ups? Because I know this has been a point that you have made in the past, that they're not all the same. Now, I will tell you that judging the value of a step-up, if you're a consumer, is nearly impossible. Even if you're a finance professor, it's nearly impossible unless you're one of like four people who actually understand these things. So how can you make it easy for a consumer to understand when a step-up has value and what different types of step-ups there are. So I, I don't know that it's easy and that's the problem. I think that one issue that, that, we, that I have seen in the space over the last year or two is that there's maybe have been a, a, an interest among certain insurers to introduce products that they offer products that appear to be very similar to what was existing before. So similar payout rates, lower fees. I mean, they might not include some of the same less salient, more qualitative aspects of the strategy. And so I think that if you're going to you know, use these for clients, try to understand them. And two products that sound very similar, but have very small differences, at least seemingly in the benefits, could actually offer radically different payout profiles. So it is complicated. You should definitely learn more and maybe partner with experts or wholesalers that can teach you about the differences in product quality. And where would someone go if they, have you written about this topic, David? Can you plug something that you've written? Yeah, I mean, so I, I've written things on different variations of these. I, I've called them GLWB lights, but I guess the, the, the problem is, is that every product's different, right? Every product has different combination of features. And I really like the fact that, that insurers can create these really differentiated products, but there's eight different things about them. And so you can, you, you know, comparing them against other similar products is very difficult. So I think that there, there is research out there, but it's, it's also a very personal decision based upon whatever products you're looking at for your clients. All right. Now I'm going to end by just making a plea to the insurance industry to move towards having 
more useful illustrations that show a, how the product works in a range of potential environments is the idea that you use some sort of simulation to show how well the product is going to do if the market does better than average, average, below average. These sort of sta static illustrations are useless at explaining how some of these more complex characteristics of a product actually function and allowing even an informed financial advisor to say, hey, this product is probably better for this client than this type of product over here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Wealth Managed Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. And you can listen to all our previous episodes at theamericancollege.edu slash podcast. I'm Michael Finca. And I'm David Blanchett. See you all later. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 